welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today, we have a great question looming over a racket that was just recently launched, the Head Pro Tour 2.0. So I want to know, are classic rackets still relevant? And with me today, I have Chris, I have Mark Boone, I have Jonathan, aka Wolfman, also known as J-Dub, and our racket string guru extraordinaire. So welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having us, Michelle. Of course. So as you, most of you guys know that are listening, hopefully you listen to that Head Pro Tour 2.0 podcast and it created a bit of a buzz and there's a thread on Talk Tennis that continues to live on well past that podcast. But it got you guys talking and we've been talking a lot about it too. So we wanted to talk about classic rackets, how you define a classic racket, if it's still relevant in the modern game and answer all sorts of questions like that. So. Who wants to jump right in and start chatting? That's a lot to chew on. <laughs> well, I'll start it off. I mean, I once the Pro Tour 2.0 was getting ready to launch, and I was wanted to include it on my weekly new product vlog. And then it had me thinking, okay, you know, what else is out there? And all these hefty classic players' rackets, you know, how relevant are they? Are people still looking for something with a lot of plow through, a really silky smooth sort of plush response? And so I threw some rackets on that video that, I felt were deserving to be included with the with the new head racket, and um, but now I think yeah we should open it up and talk about how relevant are these rackets. Obviously, a lot of pro players are still using very heavy rackets; they're weighted up. But those guys do this for a living. That's what they do. So they're training many hours a day. Much different from sort of the rest of us that are just playing recreationally. So, uh, Booney, what's your take? Wow. Well, if somebody calls in and asks uh, me for racket advice, I'm typically going to lean them in the direction of trying to figure out what's the heaviest racket they can effectively play with. Uh, so, you know, up to a 5.0 level, maybe even a open level, um, I don't feel like you have to have a 330-gram frame to be effective, but if you can swing it effectively, I'm all for it. Lean it in that direction. But uh, it does seem like a lot of people are playing with, they've been marketed, advertised a 300-gram frame. So obviously, you're not going to get that amount of stability, and they try and kind of give you another source of power with a firmer layup of graphite instead of just driving most of the rackets uh power and that kind of thing out of its overall weight. So a lot of people uh, seem to be transitioning to lighter and lighter rackets. I feel like went from real heavy to real light, those 300 grammars. And then the 305s where I feel like you're beginning to get into a weight where that's functional against pretty much most balls up until, you know, Del Potro swatting a forehand at you, that kind of thing, or Michelle's hitting a big first serve. Um, that's plenty enough. So I, I guess it just depends on how much do you want or how much you can handle. Um, that would be my opinion. You know, there's a there's a frame for everyone out there. Um, now there's just so much selection. How do you narrow it down to the one that's going to suit you the best? So Jada, Booney's talking, you know, about a player swinging the heaviest racket they can handle. We know weight is a huge factor and what you can do with a racket. You want to kind of explain some of the benefits of weight, why weight is so important? Well, I mean, it's sort of like a double-edged sword. Obviously, if you're playing against more advanced players, your racket is going to get pushed around if it's not heavy enough. 
So there's a certain weight limit. Uh, if you go below it, you're going to have huge amounts of shock. Um, you know, if you're if you're at net and you have a weight and you have a low static weight, low twist weight, low swing weight. Um, Michelle, myself, and Crawford were were talking about this. If it has a low hitting weight, which is really uh, the combination of the of the twist weight and the swing weight, anything off center, the racket is just going to flop. Uh, and then if you move back to the baseline, if you're playing with a heavy hitter, anything off center, it's, it's going to flop and it's going to be powerless. So there's a certain weight level that's absolutely necessary if you're going to play at the higher levels. And then on the other side of it, as the game got more angular and whippier and open forehands, the lighter weights became necessary in order to generate topspin, in order to, you know, sort of move and when you were out of position be able to hit effectively you would need a lighter racket so it was sort of a trying to figure out you know exactly where that line was now do you think um you can replace weight with racket head speed i think that's the trick you know is trying to figure out for each person exactly where that line is where you need it to be a little bit lighter in order to get maximum head speed so that so that you can get enough power but i think that's finding that line is really personal i was gonna say this is triggering me and <laughs> taking me back to the conversation we've had jonathan about power and how it's so relative to person to person someone called the racket experts yesterday even and said that a certain racket felt more powerful but lighter than another racket if well, that was not correct. It was because they could swing that racket efficiently. That's what for them felt more powerful. So I think that always comes back up in these conversations as well is swing weight, power, perceived power, all of the above. That's where Crawford's data needs to be contextualized. Like, you know, Pete Sampras's let it up 6085 high, you know, swing weight north of 380 is extremely powerful, uh, you know, under Crawford's data because it's got a really high hitting weight. But if you, a mere mortal, isn't going to be able to swing it effectively and keep, you know, the ball in the court. So it's not powerful unless you're someone who can swing that racket. So it ends up being, again, one of those things that it depends on the person. Yeah, you really can't take the player. Out. I mean, the player is the most important part of this equation, and um, you can't take the player out. So you, I think if you know if you're a player looking for a lot of spin and immediate pace on your game, I think there are some great options out there around the 300 gram mark. You know, like a, a pure arrow, pure drive, basically put those rackets on the map for advanced level players. Um, and then I think if you get in the plus length versions of those, now you're getting you know a light fast racket but it's got the highest swing weight because of the added length and now you've got a serving machine right you can serve bombs out you can hit big forehands big ground strokes with it. it's a great racket for finishing off points really quickly with a lot of racket head speed conversely if you go with more of a, a classic racket you know it's going to plow through the ball it's more of like a straight line relax let the racket do the work i don't feel like for me at least i'm whipping them around less and then I kind of have to feel the angles out, maybe with a bit more of an abbreviated backswing and just kind of redirecting pace and, and generating my angles that way. Whereas with something lighter, I can really just take still a, a full cut, flat out on the run, 
you know, you can still flick the winners and it's a little easier, I think, to go from defense to offense with a full swing. Whereas with a player's racket, classic player's racket, I take a much more abbreviated backswing and I just kind of use the mass of the racket, the stability of the racket, the incoming pace. And I go from defense to offense on a compact backswing, but with a full follow through. So I have a question because if someone's listening and they're not really sure if they prefer a classic racket or a modern racket, how would you define a classic racket and what characteristics are you looking for in classic rackets compared to something that would be more a modern racket? For me, it's it it largely comes down to weight. It's going to be a heavier racket that's headlight. Um, so I think you're looking, you know, pretty much from about eleven point eight ounces strung and up mm-hmm. these days, and it's going to be at least probably four points headlight as a minimum, and then becoming more headlight from there. And then uh, I think you know head size is is pretty open because. Prince original graphite oversizes a 107, but it's I've got two that I keep around, and they're both uh, I think one's 12.2 ounces strong, and the other one's 12.3. So those are big time players' rackets that <laughs> come through with a lot of mass, and with the big head too, you've you know there's some wind resistance to that 107, and so you got to be on it to swing that thing aggressively. So head size is pretty open for me, and then um, one thing that's been a hotly debated topic with the Pro Tour 2.0 is RA. I don't think you necessarily have to have a flexible racket. Pete Sampras liked the St. Vincent Pro Stuff 85 because it was thicker, came out of a used, heavily used mold. And so the beams came out thicker and they were stiffer. And he preferred a stiffer, crisper feel in his Pro Stuff 85 than you would get if you got a Chicago version or one from China. And then I wanted you also to define the word plush because we use that one a lot, especially when we're talking about these kinds of rackets. How would you guys define the word plush? I, I take it as a positive term. Uh, most of the time when I use that term in conversation with other players, it's to describe something favorable, something forgiving, um, whether they realize it or not, probably energy absorbing rather than energy returning, but uh, something that's comfortable. And it's usually a positive sensation when people okay. use that term. Cool. Cool. So let's talk about a few other rackets that are currently on the market that would fall into this more classic plush feeling spec range of rackets. I know Chris recently did a vlog and that kind of opened up some debate on not even a debate, but just kind of um, acknowledging what rackets are on the market that kind of have that classic feel, something that someone's looking for. Yeah, so I think there's some definite oldies, but still goodies out there. Something like the uh, Vocal C10 Pro. It's been around forever. It gets a cosmetic update every sort of like three years or so, maybe more. Um, and that is an old school player's racket. Uh, it's got the weight. It's got a really nice, silky smooth response to it. So that's a racket I would call very plush, which is soft and forgiving. So I like that one. And then you've got a more modern interpretation, I think, of uh, a player's racket, which is your racket, Michelle, the Pro Stuff 97 RA. It's, it's a crisper firmer playing it's a livelier racket yeah tell us a little bit about that what you like about that one because i feel like and then wilson have been there too even with the the pro staff classic 6-1 back in the day um that had a stiffer ra too so tell mm-hmm. us what you like about that one yeah so it's no secret i gravitate more towards uh stiffer rackets and what i love about the rf 97 is it makes me try to raise my level and become a better player I even hit today and I was hitting with another racket that kind of has that easy power, easy to swing, really fun. But I have a tendency to slap with those kinds of rackets and my game completely starts falling apart from my footwork to my ground strokes. The RF, I really have to be in the right position and 
it makes me work harder, but then also I'm rewarded because there's so much mass behind the ball. I mean, that racket is packing some power when you are swinging it effectively. And stability. Stability is always huge for me. And I would assume, you know, that's a factor that we would find in most of the rackets that we're talking about today. They're really stable. Like Jonathan was talking about, no, none of that shock you know, when you're hitting it outside the sweet spot, you're going to be okay. It's just, it's going to hold up to most balls. What do you think it falls on the plushness scale? I'm just curious. <laughs> how do you feel about that? <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> my definition of plush is like the same as others. I think string setup will make it even more plush. If, we've, if we're talking specifically Roger's setup, I'm sure it's a very plush feeling at impact. As we also know, I like a deader feeling string. So I can't say that I would necessarily always say my setup is a plush racket, but I love it. But it's not, I don't always feel the ball sinking on the string bed, which I would personally think would be a plush feel. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a, what I'd call a crisp racket. Yeah. So we get the sense that the ball is in and out very quickly. And that makes it also, you know, a precise racket because when you're at the net, you're lining up that volley, you just aim the strings where you want the ball to go and it's in and out and it goes right to your target. And that's the definition of crisp for me. And then plush is, you know, it comes in, it, it sinks into the string red, it hangs out for a minute, says, hey, yeah. how are you doing? And now I'm on my way kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I could go with the uh, Phantom P93 and, and that would be my plush racket. Anytime someone talks about a racket that I feel is plush, I'm going to throw that 14 or 18 main version of that racket out. What do you like about that racket? Uh, well, for one thing, it is a heavy racket and it is kind of, it's a racket, like you say, the RF makes you want to play better. It's at the upper reaches of what I can swing effectively. It is a 93. Yeah, it, it makes me feel pretty good to say I can swing a 93 uh, pretty decently effectively. You know, I played some tournaments with it, did okay with it. Uh, so yeah, I, for how heavy it is, I think that 93 cuts through the air nicely. So it's kind of deceptive. Its weight is a little more well hidden because of its aerodynamic head size. And uh, you do get some good dwell time with either one of those string patterns. So yeah, I, I still gravitate towards that racket a lot. And Booney, I mean, you have a, the RA on, on the uh, 93P, the 1820 is like 60. And when you compare it to the Pro Tour 2.0, and I think the ones we were hitting was were around 64 or 65 RAs, it, there, there wasn't a huge difference in plushness between those two rackets. They're similar, very similar feeling frames, even though the beam for the Phantoms considerably thinner. Compared to, say, the Head Pro Tour 2.0, you know, the difference in the RAs, it wasn't like the Pro Tour 2.0 wasn't you know, it, it wasn't as sweet a racket just because it had a slightly higher RA. Squarely in the sweet spot, I'd say there's they're very comparable. Uh, but one thing I don't think, I think it's really hard to get away from when you have that thin of a beam and you plant the ball up the very tip at the 12 o'clock spot of the hoop. The 93P does bend like a diving board a little bit more. It's just not as firm at the tip where the, the Pro 2.0, just that beefier cross section gives you more stability out towards the tip. For me, it's a crisper feeling racket. Um, yeah. It's not super crisp, like a, something, you know, it's much stiffer, but uh, it is a, a more solid response, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. You don't feel like the racket is is bending, especially up towards the tip. And then when you're up towards the tip and slightly off center too, you just feel like the racket is staying in line with itself a little better up there. So um, it's definitely a what we'd call a control racket, but that stability and the mass of the racket means you can, and even though it's got a dense string pattern, you can still hit big shots with that head pro tour 2.0 and uh, you don't you know if you're 
redirecting pace or you're taking a big swing when you give him more time. In both instances, I found the ball to really come off that racket nicely. Now, what about some Yonex rackets? When uh, Chris's vlog went live, we had some comments about old uh, RQIS1 rackets. And I know um, they used to make some really fun, we could call classic rackets. But they have some rackets in their line now that I think we could throw into this category also. Yeah, I think the V-Core Pro line, um, you know, obviously you've got a 330 gram version there, the 97 You've got the HD, and then you've got uh, the lighter weight one, is it a th- uh, 310? Mm-hmm. And so you've got, you know, kind of like Wilson have done with the Pro Staffs, you've got a weight class, um, and then with their blades too, they're offering different string patterns too. So, you know, um, Dunlop does the same thing with the CX200s. Um, so there's definitely some nice plush playing rackets out there from all the brands. And the Yonex ones, for me, um, I feel like they're always really forgiving. The isometric head shape, gives me a, a bigger feeling sweet spot than I would anticipate from whatever head size of Yonex I'm using. Uh, the stand racket is a beast of a racket. I love that one when I'm hitting line drives, when I'm hitting straight cross court. took me a little while to get used to flicking angles and lobs and stuff with it just because it's it's a racket for me that really likes to do the work and go in a straight line. And for me, that's how it played best. But I'm sure the more time I spent with it, I would start to tap into some added maneuverability. And then that's, uh, well, you reminded me of some other Yonex rackets when we were talking. So I used to use the uh, RDX 500 mid. That was a silky smooth, super low RA, very plush feeling racket. And then the old RDTI 80 Boonie, I don't know if you ever used that one too, but that was uh, that was a Paradon Trichofan racket. I do remember that frame. So I, from what I remember, those heads were a little more elongated and I seem to have a little bit more trouble uh, playing with some of the older Yonex frames, and for lack of a better term, even though they're squared off in the corners a little bit, the the U- new Yonex head sizes seem to be pretty traditionally shaped to me. I, I have a very easy time. Um, obviously, the 98 plus is a racket you can hardly get out of my hand lately. So yeah, I'm loving those frames. And then let's kind of shift to a more modern brand, which would be Babylon. And I think they hit the U.S. market in 2000, maybe 2001, I'm pretty sure. And they definitely kind of changed the game. So when you think of a Babolat, you don't necessarily think feel or plush. I mean, I might think it's plush, but would you put any of the strike rackets in this category? I think the strike rackets are a prime example of rackets that kind of bridge the gap between new and old. Mm-hmm. And so for me, they kind of offer the best of both. They've, you know, they've taken the best attributes of both and kind of combined it into one family. And the 1820, I love that. Um, the strike tour too. It's the mass of that racket gives it a plusher feel than the other mm-hmm. strikes just because the, the weight of the racket's absorbing so much. It's staying so solid in the hand. So, um, and I think they've improved the feel in this third gen as well, which has made them feel a bit more old school, even though they're giving you more of a modern new school response. So I think they're still light enough where you can take a good rip of the ball. You can get good spin. They feel nice and crisp and precise. And yet they've still got some stability and some old school sort of weight and balance thrown in there. So great rackets for me. And I think a really good way to, to you know bridge the gap between new and old booning. Well, well, I mean, I can't really put it any different than that. They're they're almost hybrid rackets instead of going full on, you know, getting so much energy return from the stiffness or just trying to go with like a P93, getting most of the power from the weight. You're kind of in between. And those frames, too, work very well for my game as well. Yeah, there's a number of other frames that have kind of piggybacked off that uh, recipe or formula as well that I enjoy playing with, too. And then, you know, the the racket that put Barbalow on the map is obviously the pure drive and then the 
Aero Pro Drive, now Pure Aero, came along um, and is right up there. And then, you know, a certain Spanish player put that one, made sure that one was put on the map <laughs> very firmly. Um, you know, and then the people that want to swing like Rafa and people that used to want to serve and put forehands away like Roddick, you know, they were, and Moya, you know, they were drawn to the to the Pure Drives and Pure Arrows. And those rackets are great rackets for doing that. With And then I think those are the rackets where you do replace mass with, with racket head speed. Um, but then it was kind of cool to see, you know, Babala bring out, you know, the Roddick versions of the Pure Drive and, to, and then tour versions of both the Pure Arrow and um, Pure Drive. And so you get the benefit of that mass of a traditional kind of player's racket. You're getting around 12 ounces strung up, but you've still got that modern, super lively, firm, crisp response from the beam. And I know Michelle coming from, you're a fan of like the, the Pure Drive tour. Mm. And it's not a huge leap to go from that to your the feather racket right no and some of those rackets can have pretty beefy swing weights so yeah that's where i think the higher ra comes in handy because if you have i think when the game sort of transitioned and people were hitting more open strokes and more angular mechanics as opposed to you know your daddy's step and hit to you know the more tornadic east to west across the body angular strokes you were in and out of the hitting zone really quickly, you were going to be more prone to hitting the ball off center. And when you hit the ball off center or you hit, you know, either on the three, nine axis or near the tip, you want it to be stiffer so that the racket doesn't sort of bend like a tuning fork. You want there to be power at your contact point. And as the contact points went higher with the modern game, the stiffer rackets, you know, felt crisper as opposed to bending like crazy near the tip. I mean, if you compared it to, say, a wood racket, you know, you'd notice the huge difference. So I think that the higher RAs were definitely necessary um, because they sort of tracked where people were hitting the ball. And I don't think you get the downside of um, discomfort like you you would, you know, from a, a lighter weight stiff racket just because the mass is just absorbing so much of it. So even when you are off center and it is a stiff racket, I think you can still get away with using a poly and a lot of pro tour players do. And that's the reason why is because the mass is absorbing a lot of that shock. Yeah. I mean, that's where I, I found, you know, switching gears a little, but you know, when people get really, really worried about the RA, a huge part of, of what dictates what reaches your arm is the is the weight of the racket. And so if you have, you know, a light racket uh, under 300 grams and a really high stiffness, you're going to feel it a lot more than if you have a 340 gram racket with a high stiffness. So it's almost like you sort of have to know all the specs before you can figure out the kind of shock that's going to reach your arm. It seems like the flex rating is getting more attention lately, where when I first started working here, a lot of people didn't even know what the term RA was. I kind of had to explain it to them, but it does seem to get a, a lot more focus these days, and I find myself trying to remind players that the shape of the beam probably has something to do with it, right. and the fact that you know the RA is taken at one spot at the Y where it attaches to the hoop, right. but at contact to the ball, your, your frame's going to bend and tw twist at about a dozen spots. Right. So I know you and Crawford have kind of 
let me know that. And it wasn't until I started playing with really flexible rackets, uh, you, you can kind of understand uh, where where that's coming from. So I, I just try and reiterate to people, hey, we used to do customization on flex ratings and we learned real quick not to do that because just because it's a 67 in the throat does not mean it's going to be a 67 from tip to grip. Um, so I, I try and let people know, you know, the flex rating is a good rule of thumb, an indicator of what to expect, right. but you got to take beam shape, you know, profile the beam width into consideration as well. And the racket's flexing in so many different ways. It's flexing tip to handle, but it's also uh, it's a common term in, in the industry. It's called breathing. And that's the racket hoop being pulled in right. as the strings get pulled back. It's going to compress the hoop of the racket. It has to because the strings are like pulling it in on itself. And so that is how the racket is breathing. So you've got that flex. You've got flex when you're swinging in an upward heavy spin motion. Now the racket is flexing along the edge of the beam too. So the tip of the racket is getting pulled back, the hoop is getting pulled in, and then the whole frame is getting pulled down away from the grip because you're now hitting with, you know, at a, an aggressive spin angle. So there's a lot of... Right, that's what Wolfton focused on with the Clash. Um, that's why their numbers were so spectacular, even though, I mean, I know their RAs were, were in the mid-50s, but they were dealing with all the different bending points of the racket, as you were pointing out. And... They were extremely flexible. Yeah, and then you hit off center, and now now you've added some other. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean, Crawford's vibration frequency, which is the the handle to tip axis for the Pro Tour 2.0, was in the range of the Phantoms, and the Phantoms are some of the most flexible rackets on the market. So it's not like this is a stiff racket at all. It doesn't really play like a 65. I mean. It's not like it plays like a super flexible racket, but still, there are just so many other things that factor into what you're going to feel that it's it, it's frustrating if someone gets stuck on one number. I think you bring up a good point there, and it's and then Booney kind of following on from what you said. You know, back in the day, people didn't know much about RA, and I remember swing weight. Um, I didn't know anything about swing weight before I started working at TW. I picked up the racket, and it was pickup. You know, that initial pickup, it did the weight and balance feel right to me, and then I kind of went out and hit with it and I either liked it or I didn't. But now obviously I know a lot about swing weight. I mean, do we do we start talking more about racket frequency? Is that a, a spec right. that we start introducing? Maybe, you know, people listening can write in and let us know if they want to yeah. hear us talk more about that. Yeah. The next podcast topic. Right. <laughs> a little deeper down the racket hole. <laughs> well, I know Jonathan's wanted to record a podcast about all of this stuff and even where we take our specs on the racket and how something like a clash could have a certain stiffness rating compared to a phantom and like be able to just kind of explain all the different bending points of the racket. So I'm assuming people might be interested in that. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to go over each spec, but I, I feel like if I tried to talk about swing weight, you know, you'd have to put me in a witness protection program. So, you know. I got your back, Jonathan. Yeah, I don't know how deeply we can go into it, but I'm sure we can talk about it a little. And then another thing, um, and this is going to probably freak some people out, um, that when you're taking measurements for RA on an RDC machine, if you flip the racket over and do it again, exactly, the RA usually changes by about a point, yep. up or down. Yep. Um, and so, right. Exactly. You know. You know, if you're worried about one number, and then if you you can, you know, you can change the clamping pressure on the handle, 
And if you loosen it up just enough, you can bring that number down. So <laughs> you just tell me the number you want and we'll give it to you. And sometimes I think we all are obviously tennis players. So we're all in our head some days and seeing specs give us uh, an idea of what to expect. And when we test rackets, I even said it to Booney the other day, I constantly wish we just had it all blacked out, no specs. So I can just kind of come up with what I'm feeling on my own. Because once I see, oh, okay, this is going to be a certain RA or a certain swing weight or a certain weight, whatever, that's already in my head. Oh, oh it's going to be too powerful. Oh, it's not going to be powerful enough. Oh, I'm not going to like the feel of this one. And I think, I mean, our audience, anyone out there that might be complaining about the RA of the Head Pro Tour 2.0, I think once they've hit it, I even saw on Talk Tennis today, people are like, okay, it's not that stiff. <laughs> right. Yeah, and if, you know, like they want a lower RA, just flip it around and right exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is this a good time for me to mention that i actually found a 62 wow wow yeah i guess you can edit that out yeah, yeah. I, I don't want the trouble the can of worms is already open right, just go right. <laughs> no one needs to know about it just leave no, it oh yeah exactly because <laughs> i was thinking we maybe we could sell that for a little more <laughs> no so, it's like the know. golden ticket <laughs> right exactly and then the person that gets like the 68. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'd give that one to you, Michelle, because I know that's <laughs> yes. the one you would benefit from. Right. Nice, crisp, powerful. <laughs> you can hit it all over the string bag. I was going to ask Booney if you ever deal with people that call in and they don't like the feel, but they can't necessarily put into words what the feel is. And maybe it's because it's too flexible or too stiff. Do you have to deal with that often? I try and get on the the player customer same page, or at least make sure we're on the same page. When people start talking about power, mm. um, that's one I don't dance around, but I'll, I'll try and get us on the same page. What do we mean by power? Because power to me usually is in association with I'm playing well because I've got power. And uh, sometimes you know people are going to try and say I get too much power from RPM blast. I'm going to take that into consideration. Perception is reality. Um, like you're talking about a, a lighter racket feeling more powerful than a heavier one to a player. Uh, so I'm not going to argue with them that way, but I just try and give it to them like an ingredients list of what to expect. It's like, well, typically this is, you know, this is an energy absorbing string or frame. This is what you can expect. If you feel it as otherwise, then, you know, we can move in a direction to either enhance that or decrease it. But yeah, I feel like power is probably... Uh, one of the terms that uh, is most vague and then feel would probably be number two. Yeah. Um, just it's hard to define exactly what they mean. And as soon as we're on the same page, then I understand it. You know, are you getting power from the weight of that frame? Or are you getting power from the stiffness of that frame? Or, you know, how much extra power are you getting from that string intention that you paired with that frame? Uh, so I, in the end, you know, you're, you're looking, I'm borrowing a term from Chris here, but you're looking for that Goldilocks setup. Um, you know, and per player, what's going to work perfect for Michelle is not going to work as well for me or, or maybe even vice versa. So um, that's basically what I try and do with customers that have any kind of questions like that, any, any player questions. I mean, for me, too, it's with the lightweight rackets, it's super easy to get them moving quickly. And so for a player with a more compact stroke, they're going to have immediate this inherent power and a lighter, stiffer racket because they can do more with it. Right. Um, and once they start getting their tip speed up, they're going to get ball speed, you know, because of that. Um, but, it, you know, for a stronger player, they're going to run out of mass. There comes to a point where they're swinging and generating as much as they can with that racket. And really to get more, they're going to have to use a heavier racket. And it's like, what would you rather pitch with, a wiffle ball or a baseball? You know, 
you get that wiffle ball moving super easily, but the baseball is the one you're going to want to pitch with because when that thing's moving, it's humming, you know? Right. I know those are the physics, but then there's a guy like Marco Camuso who kind of defies that. And mm. I've seen him swing 295 gram frames with nobody's <laughs> business level of authority. Uh, and he's playing against a lot of pace. You guys are feeding it to him, but he's able to generate you know, copious amounts of racket at speed to compensate for that lighter racket. I remember him telling me he actually prefers them over heavier rackets. I mean, he's serving at, you know, 130 plus, and that's him. <laughs> he can have a wooden racket to do that with anything. He's just got the mechanics and the size to do it. So I do miss having him as a doubles partner. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, that lefty kick serve. No, <laughs> I don't miss seeing that come back over. I think he's got a win over Nick Kyrgios. Are we yes. allowed to say that? Yes. Yeah. Shout Remember, out. He, he had the 137 on play site serve over Burdage there yeah. for a while. Yeah. yeah, Mark yeah. Coco, <laughs> shout out. Yeah. I need to yeah. come back, Marco, play doubles with me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just watching some bloopers and saw Marco in some of the footage. That's funny. And then I was just going to throw this out there, too. We know that a lot of pros play with different molds and different no. customizations. <laughs> no. Wait, what? <laughs> We're admitting it. We know that. You guys know that. However, there are a lot of pros out there that use the actual racket that comes straight from the manufacturer, straight from Tennis Warehouse. And I can speak to most of our sponsored players. They are using just straight up the same rackets that you guys are buying from us. So Rackets right out of Tennis Warehouse stock. <laughs> right out of Tennis Warehouse stock. Because we are taking them out of the warehouse and shipping them to them. Exactly. And people don't believe us. A lot of the Bosworth rackets that we have are actually just stock frames and of course you know they customize them uh to whatever their spec is but still you know i think people would be surprised how many pros are playing with stock frames. yeah i think the biggest difference with the pros is most of them have a custom handle and it's yeah. built to either replicate the imperfections of their favorite racket because you know there's tolerances in manufacturing and there's I talked to uh, Nate Ferguson and he was talking about a pro player and the, the palette had a slight imperfection in it. And so he took a mold of that palette. It was the player's favorite racket. So that when he built every handle from then on, it had that exact same feel. If the player could feel it through the grip, it was there. That's and amazing. so um, there was another player, uh, Sodling, who didn't like the feel of his leather grips once they bedded in. He liked them fresh. Once they bedded in, they started to feel small hmm. or vice versa. He didn't like them when they were new. It was one of the two. And so Nate built this custom palette that had the feel of the leather grip the way he liked it. Oh, wow. And so even though he's putting an overgrip over it, um, it would never change shape or size as a, a leather grip would. As his leather grip gets older, it compresses and and the handle size changes and so i think the custom handle part you got to take out of the equation that's a luxury the pros have you can have it if you want to pony up the money and right. buy someone like priority one to do that for you or, or bosworth international someone like that but um you know i think you know you look in our learning center there's a ton of information there for you to weight and balance your racket and customize it and make it perfect for you um we've got information on stringing on hybriding on altering you know main and cross tensions and so you can there's a lot you can do with not having to have a lot of skill or knowledge you can just go get that on our learning center and, and get going and make your own you know special setup now since i've been here 
I haven't ever noticed pallets for sale, but am I mistaken in saying like maybe before the year 2000, there were actually pallets available for public Uh, consumption? You uh, can still buy some in Europe, but for just uh, liability reasons, they're not sold in the US. Um, You know, if you don't install a pallet correctly, uh, the racket will leave your hand and you'll be holding the grip, over grip, <laughs> replacement grip, and pallet. Right. And then the, the racket with it. And your double partner will be suing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the racket with its uh, naked pin will now become a projectile that will get <laughs> you in, in the lawsuit. Right. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a good conversation. So I need an answer. Are classic rackets still relevant today with the modern game? For me, you're asking an old person if those rackets are still relevant. Absolutely. Maybe at the top of the pro game um, with all the uh, you know excessive pace and spin on the ball. That's why you know Federer switched from a 90 to a 97, a little bit more of a potent stick that way. So maybe at that level, um, it's not going to be ideal. But for somebody up to a 5-0 level, yeah, I would say classic player sticks are great for competitive play uh, and just fun, you know, playing around, playing dingles. And they are very comfortable on your arm. Um, I don't think they're ever going to go away. That would be my hope anyways. I think it starts to go away for me. And I think it'll happen. Obviously it's going to happen for any player. Once you get in with something that's too heavy, um, once the racket mass gets up there and you're not able to swing the racket and manipulate it how you want and, you know, and carve the angles and, and stuff like that then I think it's going to alter the way you play. And if that's not how you want to play, if you want to be the player that's, you know, can flick at the ball and, and sort of be creative that way, a bit more wristy and get spin, then you got to find that balance of like, okay, where's the weight of this classic player's racket that I can go up to and still have that? Um, and then where does it start to taper off? And then, you you know, maybe you're at like 11.8 instead of 12.2. So it's just kind of one of those things I think you've got to get out there, hit some rackets, use our demo program and, and find what works best for you. I mean, Granville's going to kill me here, but I do think we're past wood. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have, uh, I think I just put up a Max Ply Fort with a 38 RA. And I do feel like that might be a little too low. Um, if you could give three rackets to demo that would fall in this category um, for anyone listening out there, what would you suggest if they want to dive into this? The the classic players frames or like the in-betweeners? If you want to even like start with something that's like the most classic, more modern classic, it can be a range. But if like, let's say someone that's never played with anything but a pure arrow or an arrow pro drive, and maybe they're curious about what this is all about, what this feel and plush thing is all about take it away guys um i think i would start with if they want to really feel something super plush a phantom yep 93 mm-hmm. um and in fact anything from the phantom line um yeah. they're all super flexible so if you wanted something more forgiving you know grab a 100 um or a 97 uh and then for something a little crisper you know you could look at the uh the pro tour 2.0 or you could look at maybe one of the new dunlop CX 200s, although they're fairly new. Um, and you can get that in different string patterns too. And then if you want something crisper, you know, then, then try the, the Pro Staff 97. Uh, that's, that's a nice, you know, still a classic rack. It's weighty, it's headlight, but it's got a, a firmer, crisper feel. Also, I have a bunch of prestiges, a, nice. a bunch of classic prestiges that Chris is going to be vlogging about soon that are ready to go up. So I hope everybody checks the vintage pages. Yes, I was hoping you would tease those. Yep. And people need to know that uh, these will only come up on the website if I don't buy them first. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and add to my ever-growing collection. Yeah. Right. 
I do, I do have uh, a soft spot for, for prestige. Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, anything else? If you guys have any questions or want to continue the conversation, we're always happy to do so. And like I said, that Head Pro Tour 2.0 podcast, the video review, all the things that launch really generated a lot of banter and chatter, which was nice. It's nice to see everyone excited about tennis and all of that. So if you, you guys want to reach out, email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. Anything else? I'm good. No, good conversation. Very cool. Good. This is a conversation that we would have anyway. Right. And it's kind of nice just to share it because this kind of stuff happens all the time. Yeah, it used to happen all the time. When we can all finally get back in the office, it'll happen again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time, happy hitting.